This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Melton. There's a new update on the China balloon shot down last week by the U.S. military. AP's Jackie Quinn has more. The yeas are 419. The nays are zero. And members of Congress received classified briefings about China's aerial spy program. Nobody wants spy balloons flying over whatever state it is, right? And we need to do more to address it. Alaska Republican Senator Dan Sullivan thinks the balloon should have been shot down before it flew over his state. And what if it had been a missile? Montana Senator Steve Daines concerned about what information the device might have picked up over his state. Hovered over the most powerful weapons known to mankind, which are called intercontinental ballistic missiles. Democrat Richard Blumenthal is also calling for a crackdown on China's spying. Part of a effort to do not only surveillance but disruption. I'm Jackie Quinn. Rescue crews in Turkey and Syria raced against time Thursday to find survivors buried in the rubble of buildings toppled by a 7.8 magnitude earthquake on Monday that has killed more than 20,000 people. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said the first aid convoy reached victims in northern Syria on Thursday. He appealed for more access and funds to assist the millions affected by the earthquake. He listed some of the things the aid convoy is providing. We are deploying disaster assessment experts, coordinating search and rescue teams, providing emergency relief, food, medical supplies, thermal blankets, and other life-saving items. And he said much, much more help is needed. Media reports say former U.S. Vice President Mike Pence has been subpoenaed by the special counsel leading probes into classified documents found at former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence and efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election result. VOA News. Yahoo said Thursday that it plans to lay off more than 20 percent of its total workforce as part of a major restructuring of its ad tech division. This report produced by Freddie Joyner. Yahoo is going through a major overhaul and says it plans to lay off more than 20 percent of its total workforce. The cuts, part of a major restructuring of the company's ad tech division, will impact nearly 50 percent of Yahoo's employees in that division by the end of this year, including nearly 1,000 employees this week. This comes as many advertisers have pared back their marketing budgets in response to record high inflation rates and continued uncertainty about a recession. That's Reuters' Freddie Joyner reporting. Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega has said the release of more than 200 political prisoners in Nicaragua, including opposition leaders on Thursday, was not negotiated with the United States in exchange for Washington lifting sanctions on the Central American nation. In a televised speech Thursday, Ortega denied that releasing political prisoners was part of a negotiation with the U.S. No estamos pidiendo que nos levanten las sanciones. He said we are not asking for sanctions to be lifted and we are not asking for anything in return. It is a matter of honor, dignity, patriotism. The released prisoners include five former presidential hopefuls who challenged Ortega at the polls in 2021. And musician Rihanna is putting the finishing touches on her halftime show for Sunday's Super Bowl. AP entertainment correspondent Margie Zaraleta reports. Rihanna had previously turned down the Super Bowl halftime show, but she said yes this year for two reasons. She's a mom now and feels like she can take on the world, and because she wants to be a great example for immigrants and for black women. However, planning a halftime show is hard. Rihanna says in an NFL Network Apple Music News conference, some of her songs did not make the cut. You only have 13 minutes. That's the challenge. So you're trying to cram 
17 years of work into 13 minutes. I'm Margie Zaroleta. Reuters is reporting that U.S. President Joe Biden's administration is developing a sweeping bill that would revamp the country's asylum system to speed up the resolution of claims and large-scale processing centers at the border with Mexico. The news agency cited two officials from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security who spoke anonymously about the internal deliberations. The effort emerged from ongoing Biden administration discussions to reimagine asylum as border crossings have reached record highs and immigration courts face deep backlogs. And Finnish parliamentary groups are expected to discuss on Friday when to ratify NATO's founding treaties. It's a move that could lead the country to proceed with membership ahead of neighboring Sweden. From Washington, I'm Marissa Melton, VOA News. Morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Friday, February 10th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. South African President Ramaphosa delivers his State of the Nation address with a promise to solve the country's electricity problem. We are therefore focused on those actions that will make a meaningful difference now and will enable real progress Within the next year, we'll have analysis of President Ramaphosa's speech. Eritrea is to cooperate with other countries to promote regional stability. Former Liberian Vice President Boakai says collaboration with other political parties is still a possibility ahead of 2023 elections. Nigeria's Attorney General challenges the Supreme Court ruling on currency deadline. My encouragement to every Nigerian will be, as much as you can, go to the bank, change your currencies because you really never know. This is the government that you can't trust. And criticism over the Turkish government's response to the earthquake. Those stories plus our Black History Month facts for today and Samson O'Malley Sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has declared a state of disaster over the country's energy crisis that is threatening to collapse the economy. Ramaphosa made the announcement during his State of the Nation address on Thursday evening. The speech was continuously disrupted by some opposition members who demanded answers to a scandal involving millions of dollars illegally kept in his private farm. Tuso Kumalo reports from Johannesburg. As expected, it was an explosive State of the Nation address and a busy evening for Speaker Nosivio Mapisa Nagula. As soon as President Amaposa took to the podium, the leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters EFF, Julius Malema, made true his promise not to allow him to speak. Therefore, I ask that the speaker should actually declare this meeting closed because he had no right even to convene us to come here. But Speaker Mapisa Nagula came prepared ejecting all disruptors. The 
their ejection cleared the way for Ramaphosa to address the nation. In his speech, he declared a state of disaster over the crippling energy crisis that has seen citizens and businesses going for up to six hours per day without electricity. We are therefore focused on those actions that will make a meaningful difference now and will enable real progress within the next year and that we lay a foundation for a sustained recovery into the future. Among the measures he announced are the appointment of a Minister of Electricity, support for renewable energy providers and the rollout of rooftop solar panels. According to the Associated Press, the state of emergency will exempt hospitals, water treatment plants and other services from power cuts. It will also allow the government to buy energy from neighboring countries. Ramaphosa also promised to deal with corruption, water shortages, the deteriorating economy, climate change, unemployment and poverty. For VOA News, I'm Tuzokumalo in Johannesburg. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has declared the country's power crisis a national disaster. In his State of the Nation address delivered Thursday night, President Ramaphosa said he will name a Minister of Electricity to oversee the country's response to the continuing blackouts. The President said the energy crisis is an existential threat to South Africa's economy and social fabric. Professor Sipo Sipi is a political analyst and former Deputy Vice-Chancellor for Institutions support at the University of Zululand. He tells me that most South Africans are disappointed by President Ramaphosa's speech because it failed to provide solutions to their suffering. For most South Africans, and I've seen a lot of reactions, he had said uh, an infinite deal of nothing in the sense that uh, he spent time telling us what we already know, telling us about the hardships, telling us about our history that uh, we come from a history of struggle that was uh, driven by hope. But our people are in a state of hopelessness. Our people are in state of darkness. Unemployment has increased. Business are collapsing. The investment is not coming. So you have a president who lives in another universe, and people cannot relate to him. And many people had uh, suggested that uh, he should not come with more promises which is what he did. But Professor, President Ramaphosa, in an attempt to deal with the power crisis, he has declared a state of emergency, and he wants to appoint a new Minister of Electricity to deal with that. Yeah, we expect him to come up with announcements. These announcements are there to give an impression that something is being done. We should remember that President Ramaphosa was given the responsibility to deal with electricity and energy as far back as 2015. And to say that we're going to have a new minister, we already had two ministers dealing with electricity, and they had actually failed. We've had the war rooms, and the fact that he's bringing that minister into the presidency does not say anything, because he had been in that space for the last seven years. And most importantly, it is the load shedding came after he took over. What we had, we had people who had been demonized, who were able to address the electricity challenges. 
uh, from 2015 to 2018, we didn't have load shedding. Once it took over in February, that's when we started having problems. And most of the experts and the technical professionals who were there tell us that they can solve the problem as they had done it before. But uh, because uh, Ramaphosa is into this notion of just transition, which he gets excited about the new fares and about getting money and looking good. And that is a problem with South Africans, where we want to look good to the world. But what we have in our country is a devastating and deepening poverty. And that is a reality. So announcing new measures, we have had the announcements since 2018. No more announcements. What we want is solutions. Professor Sipo Sipi is a political analyst and former deputy vice chancellor for institutional support at the University of Zululand. He was speaking with us from Johannesburg. The presidents of Kenya and Eritrea have wrapped up two days of talks by agreeing to remove visa requirements for their citizens as part of improving relations. Kenya's William Ruto and his Eritrean counterpart Isaias Afwaki also agreed to promote regional peace and stability even as Eritrea faces questions over alleged rights abuses in Ethiopia. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi, Kenya. Eritrean President Isaias Afaweki concluded his meetings with Kenya's William Ruto by agreeing to rejoin the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or IGAD, an East African trade bloc, to assist with regional peace processes. This is an obligation. In the name of the peoples of the whole region, we have to assume responsibility and revitalizing IGAD so that we can have a functional Real organization for the region is critical. Without that mechanism, ideals, goodwill will not be productive. Eritrea suspended its IGAD membership in 2007 following a disagreement with Ethiopia over the presence of Ethiopian troops in Somalia. In 2018, Eritrea and Ethiopia re-established diplomatic relations and agreed to end years of hostility. President Ruto said he expects Eritrea to support the region's ongoing security operations and peace efforts. I look forward to working with you to ensure that we stabilize Somalia, we eliminate terrorism, and we build a much more secure region. I also look forward, Your Excellency, to working with you in resolving the issues in Sudan and South Sudan and working with our brothers in Ethiopia to build a better region for all our people and ensuring that we make this region uh, attractive for investment and for trade and for business. Eritrea, Ethiopia's neighbor, has been accused of widespread human rights violations in two-year conflict that erupted in November 2020 between Ethiopian federal government forces and the Tigray rubber group. Last November, the government in Addis Ababa and representatives from the Tigray region in northern Ethiopia signed a peace agreement. Tigray officials and residents say Eritrean troops have yet to leave the region months after signing a peace agreement that requires Asmara to withdraw its forces. Afaweki dismissed the allegations against his troops. Why are you bothered about Eritrean troops who are there or not there, come out and not come out? Let's assume that the peace process in Ethiopia is going without any obstacles. We would like to see the agreement signed in Pretoria or Nairobi implemented on the ground so that we can secure peace and stability in Ethiopia for the benefit not only of Ethiopians but the whole region.
Eritrea has denied its troops fought in Ethiopia's conflict in Tigray region. The rights group alleged the troops committed atrocities, including punishing families of accused draft dodgers. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Botte in Washington. Today is Friday, February 10th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And still to come on our program, Something O'Malley's Sports. Nigeria's government is challenging a Supreme Court order that suspended Friday's deadline for the phase-out of old currency notes, saying it lacks jurisdiction. The issue of when the old currency becomes invalid has turned into a significant issue as Nigeria prepares for elections a little more than two weeks away. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. On Wednesday, A seven-member panel of the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a lawsuit filed by three Nigerian state governors to stop the central bank from phasing out the old notes by this Friday, February 10th. Nigeria's Attorney General Abubakar Melami challenged the Supreme Court's ruling in a countersuit filed by his legal team Wednesday and called for the ruling to be dismissed. Melami argues the power to rule on the suit is within the jurisdiction of the Federal High Court, not the Supreme Court. Hours to the deadline, anxiety is growing among citizens over the uncertainty. Martin Obono is a lawyer and a team lead at TAP Initiative, a non-profit that promotes government accountability and transparency. Following the government's antecedents in terms of not respecting court judgments and court orders, I am not sure that the federal government is going to um, obey whatever the Supreme Court has said, especially in an instance where it has a lot of political undertone. And that obviously is going to have an effect on what Nigerian people should do or should expect. My encouragement to every Nigerian will be as much as you can, go to the bank, change your currencies because you really never know. This is the government that you can't trust. The governors behind the lawsuit from Kaduna, Kogi and Zamfara states say the country needs more time to transition to the new 200, 500 and 1,000 Naira notes introduced in December. They point out that a cash shortage is leading to attacks on banks. Critics say the governors and other politicians who support the Supreme Court are doing so in order to enable vote buying with the old currency ahead of the February 25th polls. But Olumuiwa Onlede, the executive secretary of the Citizens Awareness Against Corruption Initiative, says even though politicians may be acting for selfish reasons, ordinary Nigerians are also affected by the impending deadline. This policy is a very good policy, but what I think the Attorney General is not looking at is the resultant effect of this policy and the implementation on the people, on the masses. So many banks are under lock and key. They are afraid of being attacked. For weeks, millions of Nigerian citizens have been lining up at banks to get the new notes. In some instances, tempers run high, leading to protests and attacks on banks. Abuja resident Nelly Mwara wants authorities to obey the Supreme Court's ruling and extend the deadline. It is difficult assessing cash 
you have needs and you can't meet your needs. Not because you don't have money, but because you really can't access cash. You go to the um, ATM machines and you see long queue, your mind will skip. Okay, so it has not really been easy and we are hoping that this will be resolved as soon as possible. Authorities say the new currency is paying off in fighting crime and counterfeiting and reducing excess cash in circulation. This week, the International Monetary Fund urged Nigerian authorities to extend the currency swap deadline. Timothy Obizu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Former Liberia Vice President Joseph Boakai says collaborating among opposition parties and all Liberians is necessary to defeat President George Weah in presidential elections this October. Boakai's unity party recently left a four-party collaborating political parties grouping due to accusations that another member had tampered with its framework document which spells out the selection process of its presidential and vice-presidential candidates. Boakai, who is 78 years old, spent four days at a local hospital last month in Monrovia. He is currently in the United States on a regular visit, he says, and a medical checkup. Boakai tells me he believes all Liberians, irrespective of their differences, need to come together to remove what he calls this nightmare affecting the country. What we're telling the people in Liberia is that their country has been dragged down to the ground. The suffering has increased. This is a time for rescue. We want to take over that country. We want to position it for younger generation. And we need all of their support. This is not a one-man thing. And this is not a play-play thing. This is real situation, and Liberians must get together to rescue their country. So, personally for you, how do you see yourself? Do you think you, you have the ability to handle the political season? If I don't have it, I don't see anybody right now. With all due respect, who can do it better? You left the uh, once collaborating political parties, if, uh, am I right? Uh, yes, I uh, you know, divorce is always in two ways. Who prompted it and who took the decision? We left it because we felt it's not working. If it doesn't work, give it a chance and move somewhere else. And that's what we did. We left the CPB, but we didn't leave politics. We want to re-strategize, and that's what we've done. So, Mr. Vice President, recently you met with uh, one of your colleagues, I would say, and rival, uh, Alexander Comics. Is there any possibility that the two of you can resurrect your partnership in a bid to uh, defeat uh, President George Weah? Well, Alex and I have always been friends, and uh, he visited me right after I left the hospital, and that was a friendly visit. We didn't go into any political discussion, but Alex and I will always be friends. And uh, political collaboration is always necessary because we came together, we say we came together to defeat Wea. And we say a strong opinion that we are needed to be defeated. We need all hands on board. So our arms are always open to further discussions. We never close those. Do you share the view that some people have been expressing, Mr. Vice President, that uh, it seems that there's no one political party that can defeat President George Weir? I do. I do believe that political parties, that Liberians need to get together to see the need. So even if we're not organizing political parties, we need all hands on board to remove the nightmares from our country. That is something that you cannot debate. 
Talking about collaboration, because in my last interview with Senator Print Johnson, he said he was in conversation with other political parties. Is uh, the Unity Party talking to Senator Johnson? Precisely. We leave no doors on that. And uh, Prince Johnson, we've been talking to him. We've been talking to Kuhn. We've been talking to everybody. We all need to see the need to rescue Liberia. This is not a matter of sitting on the fence. This is a matter of getting together. People are suffering. And so those are open to Prince Johnson that we can been talking with him. As a matter of fact, the Unity Party made some intervention when he felt insecure. And so we're going to continue to work together. That was former Liberia Vice President Joseph Boakai and leader of the Opposition Unity Party. You are speaking with me from Pennsylvania, USA. I'm now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with the CAF Champions League. The group stage of the African Elite Club competition gets on the way this weekend. Defending champions, weighted athletic club, and last season's losing finalist, Al Huckley, will not be involved this weekend as they have just concluded their participation at the FIFA Club World Cup, which is on in Morocco. Arguably, the biggest match of the opening weekend will be in Cairo, where five-time champions Zamalek will take on Algeria's Sial Blozadad in what is expected to be a fiesty North African derby. Across the border in Morocco, it will be Raja Club Athletic who will take on Debuton Vipers SE from Uganda. Vipers are making their first appearance in the group stage and under new Brazilian coach Roberto Bianchi. Their former coach, Roberto Oliveira, decamped across the border to Tanzania, where he joined Simba SC, and he would make his continental bow with Wikunda Wa Inzibazi away in Guinea with a bout against Horoya. Down in South Africa, it will be Memelodi Sundowns, who finished unbeaten in the group phase last season, will start off their new season against familiar foes Al Hilal. The Moroccan side local rivals Al Marik will also be away, taking on Osporons of Tunisia. While in the other fixture of the opening weekend, it will be Petro de Luanda, who will be at home against G.S. Kabile of Algeria. In the Club World Cup, Real Madrid reached the Club World Cup final after goals from Vinicius Jr., Federico Velvade, Arribas, secured the Spanish side a 4-1 win over Egypt's Al-Hakli in Morocco on Wednesday. Pirate to their loss against the tournament's favorite, Al-Hakli claimed two impressive victories, beating New Zealand's Auckland City 3-0 in the tournament's first round on February 1st and defeating the American club Seattle Sunders 1-0 on February the 4th. Real will now face Saudi Arabian side Al-Hilal in the final in Rabat on Saturday after they shocked South American champions Flamingo 3-2 in the first semi-finals. In basketball news, four championships teams from across the globe will square off this weekend in the Canary Islands for the 2023 FIBA Intercontinental Cup. Tunisian side U.S. Monastery will face Lenovo Tenerife of Spain on Friday in the 2023 FIBA Intercontinental 
Intercontinental Cup semi-final. The Tunisians are coming into the FIBA Intercontinental Cup as the winners of the Basketball African League. In athletics, the Athletics Integrity Unit has announced an immediate suspension of Nigerian sprinter Divine Oduduru. The 26-year-old has been charged with the possession and or use of attempted use of multiple prohibited substances. And that's it for this Friday's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. February is Black History or African American History Month here in the United States. The idea for a Black History Month celebration began February 1, 1926 as Negro History Week by Dr. Carter G. Watson. It became a month-long celebration in 1976. And here are some African American and African history facts for today, February 10th. On this day in 1992, renowned African American author Alex Headley died. Haley became famous for his publication of the novel Roots, which traces his ancestry back to Africa and covers seven American generations as they are taking slaves to the United States. The book was adopted to a television series and woke up an interest in genealogy, particularly among African Americans. Also on this day, 1989, Ronald Brown was elected national chairman of the U.S. Democratic Party and became the first African-American to hold the post. Brown was later appointed Secretary of Commerce under the Clinton administration in 1994. He served in this capacity until he was killed in 1996 when he and 32 others died in a plane crash while on a diplomatic mission in Croatia. On this day, 1964, the U.S. Congress passed the Civil Rights Act. The law prohibited any state or local government office from discriminating against black people in employment and public accommodations. On this day in African history, in 1985, Nelson Mandela rejected South African President P.W. Bota's offer of a conditional release. And that's it for this Friday, February 10th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Barton, Washington, wishing you a great weekend. Mm-hmm.